This is our first ever edition of This Week in Higher Ed. Uh, I'm Mike Palmer, joined, uh, as always, uh, by <laughs> Dr. Terry Givens. Uh, Terry, welcome to our inaugural edition of This Week in Higher Ed. Absolutely. This is exciting. It and, is exciting. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so we got this, uh, this show idea together. Uh, Terry was on... A couple episodes of Trending in Education, we had such an interesting conversation about trends we were seeing in higher ed that we decided uh, there's no better time than right now to launch something like this because it's such a crazy time. Uh, everyone's heading back to school and uh, or not, and uh, mm -hmm. that's surfacing a lot of issues. And we thought if we spend time each week kind of reviewing what the issues are together, uh, that's going to be the first part of uh, the hour that we spend together. And then the second part, we're going to do a deep dive on a particular topic. Uh, so this week, the topic is going to be uh, tuition discounting. And we have uh, Megan uh, Nochevelli uh, coming on for the second uh, half of this conversation where we're going to go deep on, on that particular topic. But uh, but yeah, and then like, uh, like Terry mentioned, uh, for those who were on early, uh, you can respond. There's one poll in the polls. If you click on the polls down below. Uh, you can respond to the poll that we launched uh, for today's show. You can also choose to ask a question if you want to ask a question Reddit style that people can upvote. Uh, you can also ask those questions in the chat. And uh, and then we also can bring people on camera and audio, which might be, uh, might be something we do down the road. Uh, we'll see whether we get to that at the end of this show. But it is exciting that it's not just going to be us on camera. We'll get other people uh, hopefully a little more leaned in and engaged. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're excited to get this thing uh, kicked off. And, uh, and I thought we'd, we'd begin, Terry, by introducing ourselves. And uh, as our, our resident expert in all things higher ed, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll share that I'm less of an insider when it comes to, to higher ed. Um, I'd love to hear your uh, background and what, what gets you excited. What are you focused on? Which trends are you tracking? And, uh, and really kind of your origin story uh, as an educator and as someone who's looking at trends in higher education. Yes, and um, yeah, I am very excited that we're getting this going today as uh, Mike is. Um, so I've, you know, I've been higher ed for over 20 years. I um, began my academic career at University of Washington. I then went on to University of Texas at Austin where I uh, founded the Center for European Studies and then was asked to be a vice provost for undergraduate curriculum and international. Um, did that for three years and stepped back to get promoted to full professor. And once that happened, I went on to be provost at Menlo College. Um, did that for three years. And along the way, I realized I really wanted to do something that was more broad that could really impact higher education because I could see a lot of the issues, especially coming, you know, having spent some time at a small private college. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, uh, about a year and a half ago, founded the Center for Higher Education Leadership. And we are in the process of a transition. Uh, if you click on our Checkout Brighter Higher Ed link um, at the bottom, that will take you to higheredleads.com, which is our current website. In the next few weeks, we'll be transitioning over to a new website. But my goal was to deal with a lot of the issues I found that I was facing as an administrator in higher education, which is when I became, actually, I always tell people the story. When I became a vice provost, I got called into the provost's office one day. It's like a Friday and I'm dressed in a t-shirt and jeans. And um, I walked into the provost's office and all worried that uh, there was something, you know, that's going to happen. And, um, you know, we just, 
had this discussion and he's like, he offered me the job of vice provost. And I, I t always tell people, you know, I looked for the dent in the floor where my jaw hit it. And um, I was so surprised that they, they offered this uh, uh, option to me at, at, at such an early time in my career. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing is that I, I, I was really into um, the job in, in the sense that I, I felt like there was so many, and I did create a lot of change on campus. I mean, I, I started new majors and so on, but I, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing half the time. Yeah. I was like drinking from a fire hose. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and then becoming a provost, I realized, gosh, I don't know enough about accreditation, all these other issues, mm -hmm. um, just how to be a manager, how to deal with every, you know, legal issues, yeah. HR, et cetera. So um, I decided to start the Center for Higher Education Leadership to help leaders make their way through the, the you know, what can sometimes be a minefield, but hopefully is an enjoyable thing to get through all, you know, we, we do this jobs because, yeah. you know, we do these jobs because we care about higher ed, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and especially around ed tech, I felt, I felt like I've spent the last few years just really digging in and understanding educational technology, where those mm -hmm. trends are going. You know, I've been to tons of conferences, uh, ASU GSV actually is next week for those yeah. who are interested. Um, ASU GSV is free next week. So yeah. should, if you're in higher ed, you should be signing up for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great way to learn what's happening. I've, you know, Salesforce has their higher ed summit every year. So, mm -hmm. you know, I did a lot of that and realized, hey, where are all my colleagues? Right, right. <laughs> they aren't here. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, you know, so in a sense, what this uh, live cast is really just an extension of what we're doing with what is now going to be brighter higher ed, which is helping um, faculty and administrators. It's really to empower. And my goal is really to empower faculty and hired administrators to be able to use all the tools that they can get their hands on to yeah. help higher ed make it through these next few years, which are, are you know, it's going to be some critical years, but yeah. we'll jump into that as soon as I let Mike do his introduction. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and just sort of building on what you're talking about, like my background is more, uh, out of the ed tech e-learning space. So I worked at uh, Kaplan test prep for 20 years, uh, left in December of this past year. And uh, as part of that, I was in uh, an emerging media R&D role at Kaplan. So I was always trying to stay ahead of the curve in terms of what's emerging. I always like to do the Wayne Gretzky uh, quote, uh, skate to where the puck is going. Uh, so, so I was doing that uh, for, for many years. And then in 2016, uh, four years ago, I launched this weekly podcast called Trending in Education, where uh, we're just tracking what's happening broadly across all the sectors, whether it's higher education, uh, we do a decent amount about uh, lifelong learning and uh, workforce development, future work. Uh, we also touch on K-12, uh, really just about anything, ed tech, uh, emerging technology. Um, but uh, I was really happy to get this opportunity to partner with Terry to go deeper on a particular sector. And because higher ed uh, historically had been one of the sectors that we thought was going to change slower than others, uh, at least that had been the track record where, you know, typically I was looking for the emerging trends in uh, really workforce development, future of work. A lot of organizations were thinking more nimbly and agilely about uh, you know, implementing their changes. Universities and higher education tended to move slower as did K-12. And then COVID happened and uh, you know, some of the slower movers, some of the more uh, you know, ensconced institutional players uh, in higher ed and K-12 suddenly were forced to adopt change, forced to adopt technology. 
And uh, that's really made the focus of trending in education and a lot of my interests um, shifted uh, more to higher ed and more to these uh, these types of topics that we're going to be talking about on this show. And uh, and I'm really happy to have Terry here and the audience here who who may have some more uh, depth when it comes to higher ed. So I'm going to be a little more of the outsider, a little more of the the moderator, uh, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to bring in some some trends around uh, emerging technology and some trends around, um, you know, learning science and, you know, e-learning, which is something I've really been passionate about for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. And then with that, I think uh, we wanted to, to kick off with uh, some of the topics that are emerging, which if you look at the poll that we shared, uh, you know, uh, COVID on campus is getting the most votes followed by tuition discounting and diversity, equity, and inclusion. No love yet for the notorious uh, RBG. Uh, yeah, what's the but, deal? Uh, it's RBG. RBG, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, maybe, there we go. Thank you. Thank you, voter. Okay, uh, actually, I, I'm going to vote too. Yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think we wanted to start really with the top vote getter, although it's, oh, look at the dynamic movement. This is very exciting. This is why live, <laughs> live is so exciting. But um, but I think we wanted to begin at least with a, a few moments on uh, on COVID itself, right? So mm -hmm. uh, in in the in the chat, you can see uh, the second link that uh, Terry shared at the top is a CNN article about uh, colleges and universities reopening with COVID, the whole COVID on campus. I've been looking at the New York Times a lot, which has been doing really good uh, case tracking. Uh, historically, more just about states and countries. Uh, just within the last month, they began tracking uh, cases on campus, mm -hmm. and um, and that's where they've reported as many as uh, I think just today I was looking it looked like eighty eight thousand cases. Right. Uh, I think in the CNN article here it, it listed it as a, a closer to forty thousand. Yeah. But uh, but it's clearly a moving target, and the 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 takeaway is that the number is very big, uh, and in a lot of ways COVID is really what uh, what brought us together to a certain extent, you know, mm -hmm. like I think there's been much more focus on these types of formats. It's the year of the webinar, uh, the year of the, the Zoom backdrop, uh, the year, uh, hopefully the year of the learning podcast. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd love to get maybe some of your initial thoughts, Terry, on um, COVID and on what's been uh, so transformative about it and uh, where we see that, you know, what's emerging in the in the last week or so that's sort of top of mind for you and uh and feel free to weigh in in the chat folks too like if you have any topics related we're going to begin with covid i think we'll probably then transition a little more into uh ruth bader ginsburg uh talk a little bit about uh, the ncaa and and uh college sports because uh, that's also a place where football was announcing uh college football is coming back yeah. in some capacity but uh, and then we'll transit. Then we'll bring our guest in. But but just to kick it off, uh, Terry, any initial thoughts on uh, COVID, COVID on campus? Just a few. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 transformative. I mean, I, I hate you know we we've all been using these superlatives. It's unprecedented, unprecedented. But actually, transformative, I think, is, is what people are really starting to latch on to now. Is that we're kind of past that initial. Okay, we're going to get the semester started. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of cases, you know, yeah. it, it, the CNN, I, I like that CNN article because it talks about, and a lot of people have been talking about the fact that, you know, we're asking students to change their behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and it really comes down to saying, okay, and, and, you know, some people are complaining that, well, they, these, 
these campuses and their administrators are blaming the students um, because they're not able to do, you know, what we're asking them to do. And right. but, I, but I've also seen some pushback from, you know, I'm very active. So if you're on Twitter, um, you know, or Facebook or LinkedIn, um, I'm very active on all those platforms because I'm trying to kind of keep track of, you know, what I have a lot of friends who are on the faculty and who are administrators and so on. I'm trying to keep track. What are the people on the ground saying? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw one of my co uh, uh, faculty colleagues saying, well, you know, what we're asking the students to do is not that hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're saying, you know, they, they, one of the things about college is we're, we're we are training students, not just on the basics of English and math, we're, we're training, you know, this is the time when they have to become adults, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so we're asking them to focus not on the parties and, and all that, we're asking them to focus on their education and keeping yeah. everybody safe. Mm -hmm. And is it really that much to ask from right. the students? So I think right. there's there's a, a debate, debate developing around there about, you know, what is the responsibility uh, of the students and what can we expect from them? And obviously yeah. there's all the, the research that talks about, you know, the formation of the frontal lobe or whatever it is. I'm not an right. expert on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and thanks, Kathy, for that comment. She says we should rem all remember when we were defiant young people. Yeah. 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 And yeah. and imagine, you know, if you come from a family that's saying we're not going to wear masks, you know, right, that's right. an infringement on my ability to or my free speech and so on. Yeah. Um, then, you know, as a student, you're going to, you know, why is you don't want to necessarily do all that. Yeah. So. So, you know, I think we're going to have this ongoing discussion about whether institutions should have opened, um, yeah. you know, should they stay open, should mm -hmm. they be completely online? Um, you know, I know I'm also dealing, you know, actually one of the things I was going to mention is, you know, I, I also believe in the overlap between, you know, K through 12 and higher ed. And, and I'm, I have a son who's a junior in high school and I'm, I'm watching his um, you know, a situation where, uh, you know, his school just announced that they're going to be the full semester on uh, online. Right. And, and we're seeing some institutions are, are saying they're going to be online most for the most part for the year. Right, um, right. Mm -hmm. So in any case, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting balance. And I don't, I, I feel for every single <laughs> um, faculty member and administrator, yeah. anybody who's dealing, I mean, anybody in higher ed right now we're all struggling with yeah. this because... and, and, and also parents too right yes so like absolutely family, families oh. every, everyone is struggling nowadays. well I'm a, I'm a college student parent too yeah, and, and yeah. It's, it's interesting I'm on the Facebook page for my son's college and I, you know I as, a, as an administrator I just cringe at times because I'm like oh but you don't understand what the administrators are going through right. but as a parent I'm like yes stick it to those administrators right, right. <laughs> well, and, and it does feel like parents are even more involved in in their children's educational pathway beyond, you know, move-in day. Now, if move-in day isn't happening, which generally speaking, it's not, if students aren't even going to campus, then they're studying at home. Mm -hmm. Like you're living in the same space with your kid as they go to college. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a very different context. I did wanna hear from your perspective, uh, hear from you on your perspective, Terry, also as, a, as someone who's been an administrator I know you have some thoughts on uh, the types of campus life and size of universities that yeah. should be able to manage this versus, uh, you know, bigger schools. So mm -hmm. can you can you share a little bit of that? I know we talked about that a bit on the podcast. 
Yeah, and you know, my take on it is if you if you know if you're under five thousand students and you know you're only you're not you know hundred percent residential, it it's, can actually be pretty manageable. And I'm mm-hmm. seeing that with my son's college, Lewis and Clark, uh, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the, the bigger issue they had this past week was the smoke. We had the right. smoke here exactly. in California as yeah. well, and mm-hmm. so you had COVID and smoke at the same time. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, they've had very, you know, I think they've had a total of, of three cases and they're doing the effluent testing. And yeah. the, the the thing is, you know, my what from what I hear from my son is, you know, they're they're staying in their pods, they're wearing masks, yeah. they're mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're eating outside, they're they're doing all these things. And you know, some kids aren't enjoying it and they're going back home. Right. Um, some kids are are okay. My son seems to be okay. Um, and so I think when you're you know, his institution has about two thousand students, a little over yep. two thousand. Yep. Um and I, I do and actually I've been out there talking about this on LinkedIn. I think we need to start talking about the situations where it is doable. Right. Um, now I think the bigger institutions are going to struggle. Um, you know, the UNC's, the the you know Notre Dame has. You know, uh, yep. I love Brian Alexander's. You know, he calls it yeah, the toggle term. term. Yeah. Um, and and we're seeing that right. We're having institutions having to shut down for weeks at a time, and some are deciding to leave this, keep the students in the dorms because you don't want all these students with you know who potentially yeah. have COVID going Take out into the community. Uh, or do we, you know, do we, anyway, there, there's different ways to deal with it. And, yeah. and I guess what's what's kind of interesting, I was talking about this with a colleague from the UK, is that we don't have a, like, there's no minister of education right. who is telling all the campuses how mm-hmm. to handle this. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's the other aspect of it, is that I feel, I feel very much for these administrators because they're, you know, they're working with their local health, um, right. uh, you know, um, yeah, whatever the, the authority. Health, uh, thank you. Yes, health authorities. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're working with their their local health authorities and trying to figure out what are the guidelines. And that's true. Even you know at K through twelve, you know every school district is is working with their local health authority to figure yeah. out what are the rules we have to follow. Now California has state level rules. Right. Um, for opening camp, both college and um, uh, uh, K through twelve campuses, yeah, yeah. and uh, but also there's some local uh, you know tweaks to that, um, right. and at the county level, um, and so I think that that's it's really interesting to see how people, um, you know, or, not people, they're people, but administrators are having to juggle all the different demands, and that's what the CNN article talks about, right? Yeah. It's it's like how, and there's a, the whole other layer of politics which is, is coming sure. into it. And that right. I think that'll help us make the nice transition into Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, politics is always a part of, you know, the decision-making process. You have um, members of the boards of trustees who are, you know, um, sometimes political appointees when it comes mm-hmm. to public institutions. Um, and they're responding to what the governors want. And the, the governors are responding to what the president wants. And so there's all these different layers of pressure and expectations that are impacting um, and, and including parents and students, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it's uh, it's fraught. It's a, it's a fraught time. Everyone's on edge. So we definitely empathize, and uh, we're probably gonna uh, cover this in more depth over the next ten weeks. So the idea of this show is like we're gonna do a first run of it, really now through uh, Thanksgiving uh, ish, uh, just before Thanksgiving. Now through the the middle of November, each week we'll be covering another topic, different topics in depth. One that we'll likely come back to in multiple different week. dimensions is is COVID. And mm-hmm. even bring in some experts uh, who can who can provide some additional perspective on it. 
But uh, we'd also love to hear from folks who are attending and also hear from folks around what to, what angles you want us to pursue as hopefully this will be an evolving conversation where uh, you know, we're, we're getting input from, from folks out there. And, uh, it's also been a place where, um, you know, mental health, I think has come very much to the forefront as yeah. well, where like just the anxiety that everyone's facing, the decision, um, stresses that whether you're an administrator, a student, a parent, uh, just a faculty member who now may have to teach in person or may have to learn to teach online, higher ed is being thrust into a lot of change and, um, a lot of different directions in which we can cover that. Uh, but COVID really has been the driver on that. So one that we'll continue to cover on this, uh, this podcast, so this webcast, uh, live cast, live cast, there you go. Uh, but, uh, but then we wanted, we did want to give, uh, give Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, her due as well. And, uh, talk about her legacy. So there, there is an article that, uh, that we'll share in the chat as well. That does talk about her, um, her impact on education, uh, particularly from the perspective of opening up access, uh, where, uh, you know, her perspective on the Constitution is that from the time that it was written till now, the history of the court uh, in particular has been expanding what was very limited access to rights that were protected in the Constitution. And, um, you know, Title IX and gender equality was a real uh, key decision that uh, as a, a relatively uh, early in her career, she was, uh, or late in her career, depending on how you look at it. Another thing for her, just the fact that she, she was, oh my God. I mean, I hope I'm doing that in my eighties, my goodness. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, but, but Terry, I know title nine was something, you know, just in terms of your personal story, uh, you had a really uh, interesting and powerful, uh, powerful uh, post on uh, LinkedIn about this where, uh, you know, as someone who, who really was an athlete and, you know, by virtue of an athletic scholarship was able to, to go to, to Stanford. I'd, I'd love to hear you expand a little bit on that and on the post that, uh, that you shared uh, earlier in the week. Yeah. And actually I, I wasn't on an athletic scholarship, ah, but I, I, I still had a scholarship. I, I did get recruited to run track at Stanford. There you go. Um, yeah. So I, at Stanford, I was their undergrad and actually, I mean, it was partly the reason I ended up at Stanford was because of the recruitment by the track coach. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that certainly helped me because, um, I, you know, first generation college goer, I, I, I didn't really know what I was doing when I was applying to college. Although yeah. I did have, a, I, I will, will give a shout out to Gonzaga Prep because um, I did have a lot of good support from, from actually they were the ones who connected the, me and the, the track coach. I, I, it's interesting. I was going through some of my old papers and found a, a letter that I got from the track coach. But anyway, Title IX. Um, so if you're on LinkedIn, go check out. I, I posted a video um, uh, that was done a couple of years ago uh, by somebody who works for the company Title IX. But, you know, it, the impact of Title IX on me is incalculable because I was one of the first generations of women who really got to take advantage of it from the perspective of having actual sports teams to, to be on. You know, my yeah. sisters are, are older than me and they didn't have the same opportunities that I had in sports. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that in the video, of course, but, you know, I and you know to be honest, until I watched the the movie and and so and I didn't really understand Ruth Bader Ginsburg's influence on yeah. you know Title Nine and and all of these different things. I mean, people have been posting you know if you can you know, all these different things you can do because of of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's work yeah. mm -hmm. and and so for me Title Nine was huge. I, I I was able to compete in sports and and 
you know, to have that experience and to have that that access. And we see the impact of Title IX to this day. I mean, every time, you know, basically the fact that they have to maintain, you know, equality for, for women's and men's sports in the colleges has just had a huge impact on opportunities for women. Um, so, you know, but on the other hand, um, and I'm going to transition into another article we were looking at, it, you know, I do have issues with the NCAA more generally yes. and, you know, the way they've been, you know, and it ties in with the whole COVID issue, right? We're seeing, you know, the, the football is coming back and, um, you know, there's been, you know, protests around Black Lives Matter and, and football and so on. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, um, I know sports is something Mike yeah. likes to talk about. I and, do, I do. Um, so, you know, I think another thing we're going to do is kind of keep track of this. I want to keep track of what's happening with the football teams and, yeah. and you know, how this is playing out. And, um, you know, the Pac-12 is talking about starting up in early November. Right. Because um, they went and, in the opposite direction of a toggle, right? They originally, them and the Big Ten said they weren't going to have their fall season. And now the Big Ten is back. And I think the, the Pac-10 is likely coming back as well. Pac-12. Right? Pac-12. Pac-12, excuse me. <laughs> showing my age there yeah yeah yeah. i know i i it's taken me years to, to figure that out but yeah, yeah. um but yeah they're they're ta- i mean i don't know if there's been an official announcement yet from the pac-12 but over the weekend they were saying you know the first week in november and, and yeah. but that's you know very much uh you know it's the i'm sure there's a lot of pressure from um the, the um broadcasters in terms of you know so i mean there, there's all these different pressures that are coming to play and you know are we really doing the best that we can by these students Mm -hmm. and and, you know i I, we'll see how it goes and not to mention those big campuses are the ones that have the sports programs that are going to be playing again so the pac-12 and big 10 are campuses where if the regular student body is there and the athletes are there Mm -hmm. they're gonna mix and when they mix they're gonna spread the spread the virus and then they're also traveling and they're playing contact sports so uh, you know, you can kind of do the math on that, but it's likely that we're going to see more. And that's another another story, another thread that we'll be we'll be tracking throughout uh, throughout the fall. Um, and uh, and then we did want to uh, also bring in uh, our guest around uh, tuition uh, discounting. But mm-hmm. were there any other trends that you wanted to make sure we touched on as we're kicking off? Otherwise, uh, I can bring uh, bring Megan on. Yeah, I think that's pretty much, those are the main ones. I mean, obviously, we'll we'll be talking a lot more about these issues um, going forward. And, uh, you know, I feel like um, this is a great opportunity. So if you guys have questions, not only can we address it today, but also um, if you think of things that you would like us to address later, feel free to to reach out. Um, Or if you have ideas for for future uh, people you would like us to have on the uh, live cast. So, um, so I've invited Megan. Who Megan is joining us? Yes. Hi, Megan. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And and just a note: Tarrant has posted um, email. If you guys want to send us any um, uh, suggestions or ideas for for future live casts, but welcome, Megan. I'm so excited to have you. Hi. Thanks. Glad to be here. It was great to hear your conversation earlier. All the hot topics in higher ed right now. Yeah. Any any of them uh, jump to mind before we get into your specific uh, domain of expertise? Well, um, I am. I'm always interested in the. I was a college athlete myself, Division three, um, and I'm the faculty athletic rep uh, here at Nichols College. 
So I'm always interested in the NCAA and Title IX. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how that all works out too. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but uh, but your your area of expertise uh, specifically is uh, around tuition discounting, and that's, yeah. that's where we wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive with you. So yep. so can you can you introduce uh, for our audience uh, your angle uh, into uh, tuition discounting and some of the research that that you've done? Because it's really interesting, and I think it's also a topic that, uh, again, as someone who's not as deeply uh you know swimming in higher ed mm -hmm. from the outside it's not always a topic that that necessarily resonates but it's mm -hmm. really important and really yeah. interesting once you dig in so can you introduce the topic uh, sure. for our audience yep. absolutely um well i decided to do to look into this topic for my dissertation um a few years ago so and i came to academia this is a second career for me so i came to academia from business so um i've always looked at this organization, you know, any organization on the whole. So um, as, you know, we started to hear things a few years ago about uh, the reduction in the number of students, just the number of traditional students um, that were going to be coming out of high school. Mm -hmm. And then the skyrocketing, you know, 80% um, increase in um, tuition over, you know, the last 10 or 15 years with yeah. um, at one point, um, a, a, a smaller in, increase in um, household incomes, but then after the Great Recession, that's really been flat. Mm -hmm. So we're dealing with this, you know, as everyone knows, we're dealing with this enormous increase in college tuitions and overall basic flat increase in um, household income. So the question becomes how, you know, how is everyone going to afford this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the discounting that tuition that colleges are able to offer was really supposed to level the playing field originally for, you know, those in this, uh, the lower socioeconomic brackets, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and this is previous to um, the last three or four years and certainly previous to COVID, colleges started using those discounts really to get uh, a particular student, a student that had a particular skill, that they needed or, or, you know, could add to their community in a certain way, as opposed to strictly for the lower socioeconomic students. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th there's, there's, that's what interested me. It's like, there's, there's more here, you know, mm -hmm. than, uh, than it, that I can read in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I work at a, a small private um, business, pr predominantly business college in New England. Mm -hmm. So certainly, um, selfishly, my interest was how are, you know, small private colleges in New England and beyond going to survive the next five to 10 years until we do, you know, we can see that, Another five years from now, we're going to start to have an, um, you know, an uptick in the number of students coming out of high school. Mm -hmm. um, but as we all know, too, not everybody's going to make it. Right. So not everybody, you know, that's struggling now is going to be around to, you know, receive those students um, in another five or six years. Yep. So that that's that's you know how I got got interested in it, and that's that's how I started my research. Right, and this. Your research was pre-COVID too, so yes. some, of, some of the trends around, uh, you know, the enrollment cliff that folks were seeing in the middle of the 2020s, mm -hmm. uh, you're starting to see that now, not because of demographics, but more because folks are opting out of uh, that first year of college, at least, you know, the idea of the Corona gap year is mm -hmm. something that I'm hearing mm -hmm. more and more folks talk about. Uh, right. so, so in some ways, uh, just like we were talking during the open, some of these trends that might have been for three or five years down the road, you know, those those small private colleges are going to feel more of that enrollment mm -hmm. crunch this year, mm -hmm. heading into next year, 
and some of the reasons why they do tuition discounting, you know, I'd, I'd be curious from your perspective, mm -hmm. how will COVID influence the extent to which folks are discounting? Are they going to start discounting more or less? Any mm -hmm. initial perspective on that? Sure. Well, from from what I you know what, what I'm observing from my research, and then now what I'm observing, all of these problems, and you know Terry can certainly attest to that, were there. So what yeah. COVID has done is is sped this up like a, a four to five year. You know, we've jumped ahead four or five years into the the depth of the problem that we would have that would have taken us four or five years to re to reach with COVID. So um, all the problems, you know, were on the horizon um, and, you know, most colleges, you know, have seen them coming and have started to, to you know, reduce spending and, um, you know, not rehire after attrition and things to prepare. But then this, you know, really catapulted everyone right into the middle of it. Mm -hmm. um, so um, the, the another thing that's, that's kind of interesting as far as how colleges are going to fare is that this discounting that is offered is there's no difference between um, a a, a, a well-known brand college with, um, and that usually correlates to, to, to very high um, endowment and a large percentage of um, alumni giving. There's no difference there in the amount that they're giving or they're allowed to give that kind of thing to the smaller, less selective colleges that don't have the big brand names. So when you start talking about tuition price and tuition discounting, it becomes far more important for the, the low, you know, the less selective colleges that don't have that big brand name to rely on. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, and you know, there's been another another thing that that I have kind of found in my research too is that um, particularly in the household incomes of about 100 to 150 thousand, which is um, a, a big income area for for Nichols College, um, from 75 to like 150, and mm -hmm. and some up to 200. Um, <clears throat> there's been a, a since the Great Recession, there's been a real uh, level of consumerism that has been brought forward into searching for your um, higher ed experience, right? They used to be sort of preserved for buying a car, buying a house, and then buying your child this, you know, four-year experience um, that's going to change their lives, it's going to catapult them into, you know, this other this other sphere, we hope, this other, um, you know, um, earning potential, those kinds of things. For for a school like mine and for the, the uh, income levels that we primarily deal with, there is a real consumerism. What exactly am I going to get yeah. for my money? Mm -hmm. So colleges need to respond to that. You know, they need to really be able to identify their competitive advantage and then really market to that competitive advantage. Because if we just start keep marketing on, um, and not that Nichols is, but um, small colleges in general, keep marketing on and pushing that um, the, the the discount, the discount, the discount, it's not sustainable as we know. Um, so on average last year, colleges were between 50 and 52 um, discount rate. And not everybody knows that. If you've been through the process before with your with a child, you're kind of hip to that. But if you have not been, if this is your first time through the process and you're looking at sticker prices, which is the price, you know, the high price that that's on a, a college website, you're not, you don't know that you're right. right off the bat, you're going to pay 50% of that. Right. College counselors are becoming more and more savvy and are, are very savvy. Um, and I think are spreading that word more and more to their, to their students. Mm -hmm. um, and, and many colleges are also putting on even, a, you know, a payment calculator, putting mm -hmm. that right on the website yeah. and put in, you know, your household income and, and a few other variables. And it's going to give you pretty close. It's going to give you a pretty close number to where you're going to pay. So I think more and more people are becoming aware of it but not everybody, and that was part of my research, I thought most people were gonna say, oh yeah, of course I know. 
I'm not going to pay full sticker price. I was very surprised at the number of people who thought they were going to pay full sticker price. But Megan, isn't it also that, um, and I've heard this from admissions people, is that they feel like keeping that higher price is, you know, it, 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 you know, it helps them show that they're an elite institution. Yeah, um, it's interesting. That's definitely the case. And that's been, I think, why some colleges have resisted lowering their price and not lowering their price, but uh, but making it more obvious or announcing even coming out with a tuition reduction plan that we've restructured our tuition and we understand how difficult it is for families. And we're not going to pretend we're 70,000 and you're when we know you're going to pay 35. We're going to come right out and tell you. It's $35,000 to go to school here. The big concern is what does that say about the quality of the education? Mm -hmm. So that was one of the things I wanted to know, because I think that is a a normal response. If I see a college is 50% off, so to speak, you know, you might, it's, it's, I think it's a normal response to say, what's going on there? Like, is this, Mm -hmm. you know, what's going on? So that was one of the things I I tested in my research was what is the correlation between a reduction in tuition and the quality of the education? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I did it at a 10%, a 25%, and a 50% price reduction. And at the 50%, it was the best correlation. They appreciated the the, um, impression of the quality of the the education and the school itself went up at the 50%. So that told me that at 50%, people are saying, okay, thank you. I can really get on board with this. I could afford this. Um, and I think there was a positive feeling about the college, a college being straight with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that there is a percent, you know, there is just sort of, I think, somewhat of an uneducated perception that if the price of the of the school goes down, the quality is going down. Right. Um, and, the, and the most important factor was job placement. Mm-hmm. So the most important, I, I looked at five elements that I would consider quality of the education. So job placement rate, the um, the education of the faculty and the scholarship of the faculty, things like that. And the most important um, element to the, my potential, you know, the potential customers that I um, surveyed uh, was the um, the job placement rate by far. Right. right. Yeah, that's really interesting because I remember when I was at University of Texas, you know, and I was working on developing some new degree uh, or really majors. Um, we found that basically the Texas higher, Texas higher Education Coordinating Board was requiring us to say what kind of a job can mm. get if they get a degree in government or political science, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and we were like, whoa, you know, yeah. is that really our job to say which job, kind of jobs they can get? And it's right. becoming. Job, right. That's the reality. I, I know my faculty friends out there will resist it when we say, you know, students are customers. But, you know, in a sense, parents are customers. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we definitely we have we definitely have two segments as a, as a college. We have two market segments, students and parents. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And right. I, and I, 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 I no, go ahead, Mike. Well, and, and COVID is bringing them closer mm-hmm. together in this mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah, I did. I did just want to hit quickly because this was another one that was uh, another thing that was news to me. Is the role of international students mm-hmm. in subsidizing the mm-hmm. discounting was something yep. I didn't really know as much about. Can you expand on that? Um, sure. Well, typically international students pay full price. So when when you lose, you know, if you lose a, a domestic student you're losing 50% of your tuition or your discounted rate. If you lose, when you lose an international student, um, you're losing 100%. And, you know, conversely, 
every time you bring in an international student, you know, again, by and large, um, you're getting 100% of the tuition, the sticker price paid. Mm -hmm. So uh, for schools that have a, a, that traditionally have a high uh, international population, like Northeastern or Boston University, the, that has been a major hit for them. Some smaller rural schools aren't, aren't as dependent. They're, they're tuition dependent, but they're not necessarily international student dependent. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't hit them as much. That's really where a school like a BU or Northeastern, that's where they've taken their biggest hit yeah, is in I, their international population. And I would imagine, you know, they're not, if you're, you're in China, you're not going to study online at BU. You're just not going to go to BU, right? You know, it's well, there's been both. Yes. Uh, agreed. Um, some, I mean, cause there is a time there is such a time difference. So to be live with classes, um, but some schools are offering a discounted rate if you're fully online. Mm-hmm. So to still keep you enrolled as a student and to prevent mm-hmm. you from going somewhere else and then right. saying, Oh, I'll just stay there. Right. Let's yeah. keep, you know, let's keep you, uh, you know, on board here. And um, if you want to do a few classes online during this period, mm-hmm. we'll give you a discounted rate. And then hopefully, you know, you'll be back with us full time in, in January. Because yeah. that will be, that'll be an interesting trend to watch too, as because mm-hmm. co- a lot of, like I know New York City uh, public schools, for example, getting close to 50 percent of parents are just choosing online learning rather mm-hmm. than sending their yeah. kids to camp rather than risking it even when they had yeah. the option yeah 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and it's interesting with the covid too that a school like um nichols we've had zero i saw um maury pelto posted in uh the chat that we've had you know three weeks in a row of zero um zero positives yeah. so as, as people are looking for schools to go back to if they've taken a gap year <laughs> then looking at some of the smaller rural colleges makes a lot of sense at this point yeah, yeah. It, remind, it reminds me again, and I'll, I'll give Terry more room from this point, but it does remind me a little bit of the, the NBA bubble, which, yes. which yes. has proven to be successful, but right. it's partly because it's small numbers, a controlled yes. campus. Yep. It does seem like the profile of some of your smaller uh, private mm-hmm. uh, colleges like mm-hmm. Nichols. So, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, Terry, it's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, and I would say too that the students, you know, we don't have a large off-campus population here, right. and I think that's where you're getting into some difficulty. Mm-hmm. You know, our students that live here live on campus. We have, you know, one or two houses for some athletes off campus, yeah. but we don't have a big off-campus population like Providence College has run into trouble with that, and Holy Cross mm-hmm. uh, here in Worcester ran ran into trouble with that. So we don't have a big off-campus population, and our students, I, I didn't see this coming, but our students are really encouraging each other and pressuring each other to do the right thing because they don't want to go home right Right. i imagine which i understand (laughs) oh yeah i mean that's totally true i i'm seeing it in a lot of that's why i was saying in the chat you know i'm really interested in looking at the colleges who are doing it right and Mm -hmm. a lot of these small Mm -hmm. camps it's funny because you know when we look at the numbers you know they're really at the bigger campuses right Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. university of florida unc etc but um you know what I'm really focused on the small private colleges because, of course, as you're, you're saying, they're in danger. Uh, we're we're going to lose some of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got a, an initiative, you know, saving 100 private uh, colleges because they're critical to our infrastructure mm-hmm. of higher education. Right. And, you know, I, I'm constantly saying, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm posting stuff all the time about this because mm-hmm. um, we, we really do have to save these colleges because mm-hmm. so many students who come from, you know, first, you know, first generation, um, uh, those who feel need that smaller uh, campus, you know, residential mm-hmm. campus climate who mm-hmm. are going to perform better. I think a lot of well, first, definitely not, that. Yeah. 
yeah, not mm-hmm. every student, but there's mm-hmm. a certain segment of students who mm-hmm. we know are going to do better on a, on a small liberal arts college campus. That's right. And, That's right. Um, we, so, you know, we really need to find a way to save them and it's going to mm-hmm. take innovation. I mean, we've mm-hmm. been talking about the problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Megan, right. I'm wondering what your thoughts, I mean, one solution we're pursuing at, at Brighter Higher Ed is this idea of alliances and mm-hmm. getting these mm-hmm. small colleges to work together mm-hmm. and cut some of the costs so that they can cut, you know, even, you know, we, we're talking about you know, tuition. We, we need to cut tuition. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not just about going down to the level of the discount rate, but being able mm-hmm. to survive at that discount rate and just charge that discount rate. Right. right, right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, go ahead. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think alliances are great. I think, you know, going outside um, and getting help or just sort of helping each other um, at this, particularly at this time, you know, the alliances don't have to last forever. Right. I mean, right. just, we have to get through this period of time. So whether we're allowing um, students to take each other's courses um, mm-hmm. online or in yeah. person, and we create these alliances. Um, but <clears throat> I'm also a fan, I guess, because I came from the business side of going out and getting some sponsors, getting a sponsor mm-hmm. for you know an incubator, um, a, a corporate sponsor for an incubator lab, things like that. Um, and then certainly it's the time um, for you know alumni, if you've ever thought about giving to your college, yeah. now is the time. You know. Yeah. Um, so any of those ways that we can bring in, I just look at all different revenue streams for, okay. for small colleges. What are all the different yeah. revenue streams? And then increasing this online learning, you know, it's, it's the overhead. Once we've paid for the overhead and we've paid for the infrastructure, every single time we get another online student, it's <laughs> it's money to the bottom line, right? right, right. I, I'm laughing at Paul's comment because he's saying his, his office is down the hall from Megan's. Yes. But, yeah. Um, I appreciate that question. You know, after World War II, um, we went into this period of physical expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, more residence halls. I, I think, um, and there's another question from Terrence, but I'll come to that in a minute. But, um, you know, I, I I do think we're facing a, top, a time when colleges have to rethink the model. Um, I do think we're going to see more online teaching, mm-hmm. um, partly because, you know, it's an, it, it can allow for more accessibility. You know, if I'm a student mm-hmm. and you know, I have an issue, you know, it, it helps if I can go back and, you know, do my class asynchronously mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. week and, and, you know, I may be back synchronous the, the next week. Right. You know, there's so many aspects of this mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. Um, and so how do you do that? Well, I, I think it, it's really important. And yes, Kathy, HBCUs, I'm all about HBCUs, mm-hmm. you know, they have to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to help them survive. Actually, I'm, I'm offering free services to, to HBCUs. So if you know some who, who need some help, I'm, I'm out there. But um, I do think we need to rethink the model. It's all about mm-hmm. innovation. It's about using the tools, the best tools that mm-hmm. are available mm-hmm. um, and using, you um, you know, each other as you know, if there's mm-hmm. any time when higher ed needs to come together mm-hmm. and figure mm-hmm. out how we can work together, mm-hmm. th- this is it. You know, yeah. we don't have, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we don't have that minister of education up there who's telling us or, mm-hmm. you know, pushing us to work together. So we have to, you know, we have to do it ourselves. Right. And the growth is in the non-traditional student, right? So, um, you know, offering the online, uh, the uh, online option for the non-traditional student, right? The adult going back to school, um, and some some of the minority groups too. Um, that seems to be the best way to offer, you know, accessibility, um, a reasonable price, and then the opportunity for people to be working um, and going going back to school at the same time. Seems like again, from my research, that was where there seemed to be a lot of growth potential um, for for higher ed. And the, the other thing that I think COVID pushed us towards is more the concept of low residency 
uh, like learning pods, which mm -hmm. is a macro trend you're seeing across all sectors where, mm -hmm. you know, a small group, a cohort of 20 or 30. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just even thinking about the socialization function that uh, college life provides to all of us who, who have the opportunity to pursue it, it does seem like there are some advantages to that model where like if mm -hmm. I'm going to develop deeper ties to say 20 or 30 students who mm -hmm. are going to be part of my pod mm -hmm. and then that group will be on campus maybe less than a full semester mm -hmm. just to, to be safer in terms of COVID mm -hmm. and then there's more use of online like so it does feel like uh, these new models are formulating and it mm -hmm. does sound like the, the, the financial crisis that many colleges are facing are, is going to be a real impetus to be more innovative. So a lot of you know, a lot of what I've seen from you, Terry, is like, let's let's be more in it. Let's break mm -hmm. the mold. Yeah, let's mm -hmm. try right. some new things. Absolutely. And now it's like it's like right. innovator innovator die. It seems to a certain yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. And let's not just try to wait it out so we can go back to the old way, yes. right? Let's not just try to <laughs> live along. Right. right. So I, I hope not. You know, I think there's yeah. there's a lot of great opportunities, especially, you know, we keep talking about accessibility, accessibility, a lot yes. of opportunities for more access if we can continue to innovate and move forward that way. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, Megan, what you're talking about ties into the future of work, which I know is, is a, a big interest of mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about before. It's like, you know, we, we need to be more open to connecting how you know, how, how are we connecting to work for students? I mean, we obviously know that the students we're training today are going to have completely different careers 20 mm -hmm. years from now. Mm -hmm. right. um, so we have to make sure we're doing those things that are effectively training them to be mm -hmm. agile, to be ready mm -hmm. to make that career change, mm -hmm. um, to be, you know, have to have good uh, writing and communication skills and quantitative mm -hmm. skills. And, Problem you know, solving. Right. right. At, at problem solving is, you know, huge, um, mm -hmm. you know, project-based learning, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, yep. all of those things are out there and, and um, you know, are ready to be utilized. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, the problem I have with higher ed is, is, you know, we don't, aren't teaching our graduate students this stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and we need to be teaching our graduates. And I'm not saying that's a hundred percent across right. the board, right. but, um, but, you know, for the most part, we, we aren't really doing that well. And as part of a differentiation here at Nichols R, that's been a big part of our differentiation is it's we have every class has some sort of an experiential learning component component. Yeah. So whether you work for an actual company, um, you know, under the, um, you know, the direction of your professor or, uh, you know, case studies, but primarily we really do try to get some um, community businesses in or, or, you know, all of us that used to be in business before we taught reaching out to all of our um, colleagues and getting the students involved in actually solving problems and, and working on cases and things. So when they get out, whatever the whatever that situation is gonna be when they get out into work, we don't know what it's gonna look like, mm -hmm. but they have a structure for going through and analyzing information and coming up with alternatives and coming up with solutions. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. and, and there is a question I wanna yeah. come back mm -hmm. to. Um, what is the correlation between reduced cost and increased miscellaneous fees? And can a school effectively mm -hmm. hide costs with a tuition discount made up with for with fees, like an airline pricing structure? <laughs> um, I don't know the answer. That's not my, my school um, <laughs> is private. So I feel like that's more in my. That's happening more in public schools. Yeah. Public schools. Um, yeah. Where the tuition I, rate is very reasonable. Yeah. And then it's the. Yeah, yeah, they, they charge a lot of fees. I saw that. Actually, it was interesting when I was at UT Austin, we actually tried to move away from that model mm -hmm. and just have flat rate pricing. Um, and so we got rid of a lot of the fees. But then that that 
you know, kind of came back to bite us when the, you know, the legislature said we had to, you know, we couldn't raise our tuition and, mm. and we said we had flat rate tuition and we couldn't add. So I think they have started adding fees. And you have to start on the again. fees. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, sometimes you have no choice. There's certain things that, you know, um, the cost. Yeah. Yeah. It, Apps it just, and things like that. They're, you know, very expensive to run and yeah. 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 And not everyone uses them. So if you're using a particular lab, whether it be in a nursing program or something like that, you know, there's a there's a, a cost associated with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get a little of your perspective, Megan, too, on the other disruptive force that's out there, which is the Googles and the Amazons and the corporations that are saying we can train prospective employees mm -hmm. without them having to go. Google made a lot of noise uh, right. recently announcing yep. their, their projects. It sounds like mm -hmm. Nichols is is more moving in that direction yep. through a partnership like with with the private sector but i'd love to hear you expand a little more on that sure well to answer your question yeah i think um i think there's something to be said for that i mean i i don't think it should replace higher ed you know it certainly wouldn't have replaced my higher ed experience and certainly for my children i i, I don't want it to replace their higher ed experience but i understand what they're saying that you know we now people in those businesses need to have such very specific skills that regardless of where they come out of college, some of these companies have to sort of train them anyway. And they're saying, you know what, we could train train them all together. But there are, we all know there are some things that we learn at college that, you know, um, that that aren't on the brochure, right? So we learn, you know, we learn time management, we learn how to problem solve, we learn how to get along with people. Mm -hmm. And part of, you know, um, experiential learning too is working in groups, right? Mm -hmm. And having to come to agreement, everyone has to get together, everyone has to use time management. Someone's a leader, someone's a follower, and then next time hopefully someone else is the leader and someone else is the follower. Right. So there's a lot of that. And then simply critical thinking, problem solving, and you know, looking outside, maybe just the information you've been given. Sometimes that's enough. But to be able to look at things and and you know, in, in your writing courses where you're learning to you know look at things critically um, and problem solve, that that isn't. I don't see that as part of those curriculums from from a, a Google you know mm -hmm. Google Ed or something like that. Mm -hmm. But another thing that I do think is a great resource or or could help us all is the open resources. Yeah. So, you know, that now to me, that is a great combination with whatever education, you know, a small private school or mm -hmm. another school to be using those open resources. And I'm sorry yeah. to the public publishing companies, but something's got to give and I don't want it yeah. to be higher ed. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but using those, I mean, I've used some open resources. They're great. You know, and then as, as our students gets older, we rely more on either open resources or case studies. Um, or our own, you know, our own consulting projects with businesses. So that works really well for us. So that's now that's a good for me. That's a nice combination of the open resources, but still under the direction of, um, you know, a professor with particular learning outcomes mm -hmm. um, that we're after and still getting that residential college experience and, and education. Like I said, that's not necessarily in the brochure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and uh actually it, it sort of ties into the question Kathy's asking that we have to figure out how best to work with students who don't do well with virtual learning. Mm. You know, some are, yeah. some are doing better with in, you know, virtual learning while some who are better with in-person learning are doing worse. So, mm. you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're seeing that tension and that struggle, which why I think, you know, going to a hybrid approach, it mm. makes a lot of sense. Um, right. You know, figuring out mm -hmm. which students, you know, we, that, you know, one of the things that's um, we're seeing is, is another trend is is actually looking at how students are doing in 
you know, different types of, of mm -hmm. learning environments. We mm -hmm. can get that data. We can figure yeah. out, you know, how is this do person doing in this kind of class versus that kind of class? You know, mm -hmm. how we can look at assessments, we can do all these things. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we need to be more systematic in higher ed about doing this and figuring out, okay, if we can only have 10 students in the classroom, mm -hmm. let's mm -hmm. figure out who those 10 students should be mm -hmm. and, and go mm -hmm. from there. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah and, and I think a related point there is uh, the problem of, uh, of digital inclusion Mm -hmm. Exactly. Not, not every, like underrepresented students, low yep. socioeconomics. That you know, yep. online is a nice band aid, but not everybody can apply it. So, mm -hmm. so yep. how do you reach those students uh, mm -hmm. who also have the, they have more need on meeting their tuition as well? So, like, mm -hmm. how do you actually get that get them on campus? Because the other challenge, you know, which ties to the diversity and inclusion piece, is that if you don't get those students on campus. You start having a more um, monolithic, non-diverse. No, which you don't want. Who is you on don't campus, want. Which sort of undermines the the whole promise of what you were describing, Megan. Like part of the intangibles of being on campus is being mm -hmm. exposed to people who aren't like you, right? Who come from different backgrounds. That's right. And that works in all directions, both the mm -hmm. kids who are coming from a privileged background, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the kids who are underserved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and letting them self-select, uh, which I think in COVID, because, you know, all of this was thrust on everyone, so for people sure. are making quicker decisions. Letting students self-select is, is great, I think, for retention and things. But going forward, Terry, like you're, when you're <laughs> talking about would be sort of a long-term hybrid model, I don't know that, you know, letting students self-select is, is the best best way to go. No, no, I think we... Uh... Oops, there you are. And your okay. hands, we saw your hands the whole time. So I don't, so I don't, know, I don't know what happened, but uh, something happened. Yeah. Well, that was a weird thing. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I was going to say, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, if we think about um, kind of, I would love just for us to spend more, and maybe we'll spend a whole session on this, like, you know, what are some of the teaching and learning best practices that can mm -hmm. help us in this kind of situation? Yeah. Um, you know, if we're, you know, if we're going to look towards the future and figure out what's the best environment for students. What's, you know, and it's obviously it, it, the more individualized we can get and say, this student needs X, Y, and Z, um, but we also want them to have exposure to a broader range of, yeah. of other students and right. faculty and, and so on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of, um, you know, combining different best practices and, and we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We, that's why I really push for collaboration and, yeah. and, yep. and there's a lot of that going mm -hmm. on. You know, I don't mm -hmm. want to say that there isn't any of right. that going on, you know, actually, you know, I'm on a couple of Facebook pages where, where faculty are just coming on, you know, pandemic, pedagogy and, you know, mm -hmm. talking about what they're doing and, and mm -hmm. how they're, you know, and, and it's a lot of struggle right now. Right. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. and, you know, so the, uh, you know, Mike mentioned the wellness component, you know, I, I do think we need to acknowledge, we all need to acknowledge this is a really stressful time, Yeah. but leaders have to be thinking about how this is going to have work going forward. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. there's just no choice. We have to figure I... out how we're going to work this and, and going into the future. Yeah, and just extending on your point, Terry, uh, I think trying to understand where faculty thrive is another mm -hmm. really interesting thing as the model evolves, because it mm -hmm. it's going to have to evolve. It's, I've heard it called emergency emergency remote teaching is what mm -hmm. we were doing in March. Mm -hmm. yep. What we're doing now is probably less emergency, but it's mm -hmm. not particularly thought out. It's more like the this massive like lab experiment is happening right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. so... 
the good news is it's so decentralized and fragmented that like every flavor of intervention <laughs> is going to be out there. Mm -hmm. I think the question is, how do we figure out what works? Right. And how do we figure out how to then really leverage what's best in our faculty so that they're mm -hmm. really given the opportunity to thrive? And they're mm -hmm. also given the opportunity to, to get the supports that they mm -hmm. need, right. um, which um, can, can either both of you maybe just weigh in a little bit on how uh, how you think we might be able to support faculty through the crazy times that we're living in? Go ahead, Megan. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, well, let's see what Terry has to say. Yeah, um, I think um, an understanding that it is stressful. It's more stressful yeah. for some than others, some that have more of an aptitude for the technology. Um, uh, you know, it, it's less stressful. Um, and it's not just the technology, too, though. It's, you know, the, those who, you know, really um, thrive on, you know, connecting with the students in the classroom and thing. That's there's there's a you know, there's a void to that. So I think it's just an understanding and an empathy um, that yeah. it's different for everyone. There's been a lot of changes. But, you know, the resources you, you mentioned, the resources, too. So then the resources are different. We need, you know, uh, some of us need more tech help. Um, and then, you know, at libraries, too, we don't need you know, we don't have our, our cases on, on uh, at the desk at the library anymore. Everything's online. Right. But we need help, um, you know, more digitally help with um, research projects and things using more digital um, resources than going over to the library and, and, and looking things up, so to speak. So I think you're I think you're right. And I think some of that's going to continue. I think mm -hmm. we're, we're gonna, you know, um, I, I, as Terry said, there's not going to be a going back to normal. Mm -hmm. But um, as we go forward, some of these things are going to be adopted. And I think those are some things um, like the, the digital and the online um, resources, things are going to become more and more important. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And we're about we are out of time. Yeah. <laughs> we're actually a little over time. Yeah. Uh, thanks for those. Everybody's hung with us. So thank you so much. Um, and I'll just add to, to what Megan just said about supporting uh, faculty is that um, you know, we have to listen. And it's both, it's a two-way street. So I know a lot of faculty are frustrated and upset mm -hmm. with administrators and administrators are frustrated and upset with faculty. And we mm -hmm. really need to, empathy is critical here. Mm -hmm. I, I put a plug in there for my book on radical yep. empathy. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, it's really, it, it goes both ways. Because if the faculty can help and understand that the administrators under are under sometimes mm -hmm. more stress because mm -hmm. they're trying to keep these institutions afloat, mm -hmm. and the administrators can, you know, understand that the faculty are under huge amounts of stress and, and dealing with situations they've never had to before. I, mm -hmm. I, it's just, you know, it's a two-way street. And mm -hmm. I, I would love to see, you know, more discussion about how we can come together and, mm -hmm. and really work together. Yeah, and fortunately, we have a forum here to have those types of discussions, Yay! which is great. So, <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and Megan, if folks want to learn more about anything, your research, or they want to yep. learn about any recommendations, where they should go, what they should look for? Um, sure, I didn't. Uh, well, they can get in touch with me, I guess. Um, that's really all I have. Um, my, my email is my name, Megan.Nachavelli um, at Nichols.edu. Awesome. Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S. Awesome. Thanks so much for being our first guest. You were amazing. Yeah, uh, thanks. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for inviting me. This was great to be a part of. Yeah, yeah and for those um, who are watching, uh, we're going to, this is recorded, of course, so we'll be posting it. And it's also on Facebook Live, so I'll be uh, posting it on Facebook and everywhere. And actually, we're, we're going to work, we'll put it into our podcast as well. So. Yeah, and let us know, let us know what you like. Let us know, let us know what you want us to talk about. Uh, if you have suggestions for guests, if you want to be a guest, we're yes. open to suggestions. We just feel like, this is going to be a critical time to have these types of conversations and we're planning on being here right through uh, right through November. So thanks, Terry. Yeah. 
Terry, you were, uh, that's our first season. We've been picked up for our first season. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're waiting for the sponsorship for the second season. Yeah. Exactly. But thanks thanks to you, Terry, too. Like, we got one under our belts. Congrats. Good job by us. Thanks we to everyone it. who was able to help get this thing going. And uh, any parting thoughts, Terry? No, this was one. This was actually, it's really fun. I, I do enjoy this. And, and thanks so much to everybody. Who, and thanks especially to Megan. This, Thank this you. Great. Thank you for inviting me. All right. And with that, I'm going to hit the button. We'll be All back right. Again soon. Bye. Bye bye. bye.